Well, that's exactly what we're trying to do this month, and I'm preaching four messages on Jesus Christ Himself, and we're beholding the Savior as she has just sung so beautifully here. And the message today is the exclusive Christ. Last week, it was the promised Christ, and I gave you 40 different passages of Scripture, in fact, that would uh, show you 40 characteristics of the coming Savior from the Old Testament Scriptures. And to me, the most powerful, conclusive argument you could ever want for the deity of Christ, for who He was, is those 40 different passages of Scripture. I mean, who else could it be than, other than Jesus Christ after you look at those? Now, today we're going to look at Him as the exclusive Christ, the basis of so much of the controversy of our world today. I would ask you to open your Bible, please, to John chapter 14, one of the most familiar passages in your Bible to many of you. And if you would stand to your feet with me, we'll read God's Word beginning in verse 1. It is not my text, but I want to give you a little bit of context here. Revelation, John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we, not, we know not whither thou goest, where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that verse, verse number six, is our text. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You wouldn't think that verse would be controversial, would you? And yet in our world today, that verse is perhaps, hear me, perhaps the most controversial verse in all the Bible. Why is that so? You may be seated, and I'll endeavor to tell you. There's a beautiful slide we have here, a little picture of a manger scene there. And as I look down into that, it provokes a question in my mind as I think about that baby. Who is that baby? We look at manger scenes so often, we hardly see them. Who is that baby lying in that manger whose birthday that we're celebrating throughout this season? Is he just one of many who came into the world and somewhere along his life's path he founded a religion? Is he a counterpart of Buddha, of Mohammed, of Moses, who the various religions attribute as being their founders? Is he just one of several great prophets, religious leaders, 
Or is he unique? Absolutely unique. So unique that there's no other human being on the earth that even compares to him. Is he unique? If he is, then he is exclusive. And you hear the word inclusive so much today, probably every, you probably don't go a day without hearing the word inclusive. But if he is who he teaches that he was and who he says he is, he is the most exclusive person who ever lived on the planet. And his quote, I quote his words, verse 6, that little baby said when he grew up later, I am the way, not a way, not the best way, not a good way, the way, the truth, not the best truth, not His truth, the truth. I am the way, the truth, the life, the way to life. Now, is that true? Is He the only way to heaven, or is there other paths? The exclusive Christ. Men today answer that question, is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? They answer it in four different ways. You may want to write these down because it, it takes in all the answers, believe me. First is the answer of universalism. Universalism answers that question and says, well, everybody will be saved. Everybody will be saved ultimately. And it doesn't matter if you're an atheist, you can be saved. And you'll end up in heaven because everybody will go to heaven before it's over. And maybe some universalist would make a few exceptions. They'd say, well, Hitler probably won't be there. Charles Manson won't be there. A few people like that. But if you're not on the furthest reaches and margins of society, you'll, you'll be in heaven. You'll be okay. Don't worry about it. God is too good to punish anybody for eternity. That's universalism. Everybody will be saved. The second view is pluralism, and we have people today in our country who stand up, and they're very proud of being very, very pluralistic in their views of their religion. Pluralism, of course, plural meaning two as opposed to singularism, and pluralism teaches that all roads lead to heaven. So if you're a Buddhist, that's okay. If you're a Muslim, that's okay. If you're a if you're Jewish, if you're Christian, if you're any one of the cults, if you're any one of anything, if you have some sort of religion, all religions will get you the same place. And so I hear people say something like this, all religions are the same, aren't they? Aren't we all striving for the same things? I would tell you no, and I would even go further and say very kindly, that's a very ignorant statement. You've never studied the other religions of the world because we don't even all agree the Hindus and the Muslims and the Christians and the Jews, we don't even all agree on what the problem is, much less the solution. And so pluralism says if you're religious, uh, you'll end up, you'll be okay, you'll be in heaven. And then there's the inclusivist, inclusivism, that Christ died for the sins of the world. Now, they're a little closer to the truth than the others are, and the inclusivists say basically that when Christ died, He died for all the sins of the world, and you don't have to have any personal faith in Jesus Christ. That Christ's death was 
inclusive that everybody will be saved because he paid the penalty for sin. And because of that, uh, he, he redeemed everybody. His, his, his death on the cross was enough to obtain redemption for every soul. And so it's not necessary that you personally accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And then there are those of us who are exclusive, exclusivism, and we believe literally the Bible. We believe John 14 and 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, and in doing so, he excluded other ways. That's where the word exclusivism comes from. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so our text, John 14, 6, is no doubt one of the most controversial passages in all the Bible. And it wasn't so. I mean, that verse was universally accepted right across the board among all denominations and people in America that call themselves Christians until all the last 25 or 30 years. And now things have changed so dramatically that even among Christians, that verse is a controversial claim. So I want you to take your Bible now. I want you to go back to John chapter 8 with me. And I want you to notice with me point number one, the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Because John 14, 6 is not the only place that he said that. It's about the only one that people are familiar enough that they want to use it. But Jesus, this was a constant theme of his ministry, that he was the only one who could take us to heaven. And this is such a fascinating thing here in John chapter 8. So go back with me. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here in John chapter 8. And down in verse number 12, he makes another exclusive claim. John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light, underline those words, the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, inferring if you don't follow him, you will walk in darkness. And he makes this exclusive claim. Notice again, he didn't say, I am, I am a, a, a good light. He didn't claim to be a light of the world, so you have these other lights. He didn't say, I'm a good light, or I'm even the best light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. Now, think with me. Do you know what that means? When he said, I am the light of the world, he excluded all the other lights, didn't he? So when you say, I am the something, then you're inferring, I'm the one. I'm the only one. You're making a very exclusive claim. Well, when he said that, boy, the Pharisees didn't like that. Look in verse 13. They said to him, you're, you bear record of yourself, and your record is not true. Your record is false. In other words, they charged him with lying right there. They called the Lord Jesus a liar. How did he respond to that? Go to verse 17. He said, well, it's written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. 
And I am one of the two that bear witness to me, and my Father that sent me beareth witness also. <laughs> I really like this. Do you know what Jesus was saying? Okay, your law says that if I'm telling the truth, I've got to have two witnesses. Well, I have two witnesses. I'm the first one, and God's the second one. <laughs> well, you, you, you don't find that funny? I think, man, I mean, uh, that's one of the swiftest jabs I've ever seen in all my life. I mean, he was quick on that one, wasn't he? You want two witnesses? You got two witnesses. First of all, I got my Father in heaven, and I'm the second one here. And so we're ba bearing witness. Well, that really set these guys off, and they really went after him after that. And so for the sake of time, I wish I could go through every verse. I can't. But he ends up saying to them in verse 23, you're from beneath. You're from the world. And you won't understand me because you're of the world. But I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Boy, what powerful arguments he's using. And then in verse 24, he says, I say this unto you, because you're going to die in your sins if you believe not that I am He. You shall die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. He didn't make way for a whole lot of other religions and so on. If you don't believe I am who I say I am, you'll die in your sins. Now, I want you to show you something very interesting about that verse, by the way. Verse number 24. In your King James Bible, if you believe not that I am He, what's different about the word He? It's in italics, isn't it? How many of you see what I'm talking about? It's in italics. What does that mean? The King James translators were very, very honest when they translated the Bible. And any word that did not occur in the original Greek Scripture that they were translating here, they put it in italics. They let you know when they added something to the original text. They did that so we could understand. They were improving understanding. But here's really what Jesus said that day. If you don't believe in me, or uh, let me re just read it literally for you. For if you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am, what was Jesus saying? He, he was using the term I am, which was the Old Testament word Jehovah. I am God is what he was saying. If you don't believe that I am God, you will die, Jesus said, in your sins. And then down in verse 40, let's continue. But now you seek to kill me. You see, always when you take that exclusive stand, you run the risk of people uh, becoming angry with you. And he said, now you're trying to, you're ready to kill me, a man that told you the truth which I have heard of God. And your father Abraham didn't do this. And then he continues. And go with me down to verse number 56. Verse 56. We continue. This is a long passage, but I want you to just point out these highlights. I want to point out the highlights. 
Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He looked forward to the time when the Messiah would come to the earth, and he saw it. He believed that someday I would come, and he was glad. And then verse 57, so his enemies here, these Pharisees said, well, you're not 50 years old yet. How in the world has Abraham seen you, or have you seen him? And then he really pours the fuel on the fire. Verse 58, Jesus said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. And he said it again. The Old Testament word for God, for Jehovah, I am, meaning the eternally present one. Not the I was who one time existed and ceased to exist. Not the I shall be who someday will come into existence but doesn't exist yet. But the I am, the eternally present, almighty, unique Son of God that always was, that is, and that always will be. The uniqueness, the exclusiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who was ever like Him. And this is the heart of the Christian faith. Amen, brother. Glory. It is glorious. It is glorious. And this is what Jesus said about himself. You see, you go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. And in chapter 3 and verse number 14, there's a burning bush in front of Moses. You remember the story. A bush uh, burst into flames. And Moses stands there. And then a voice comes out of the bush and begins to speak to Moses, the call of Moses. And Moses asked, who is this in this bush? And in the bush, there's a voice comes back to him again and says, I am that I am. And that's the only answer. What a strange, weird thing for us today. A bush saying, I am? But it was God in that bush. It was God who was producing the flame that was burning that bush and yet not consuming that bush. A miracle was happening here. And it was God Almighty, and He reveals to us who He is. You see, without Him revealing that, you and I wouldn't know that God was eternal, that He had always existed, that He never had a birth, that He would always be, that He would always be a million years into the future and a million years into the past and more also. And Jesus here says to these people, he uses the name that God used to introduce himself to the Jewish people through Moses. Jesus Christ uses that same name now of himself, and so he has just made the claim that he is eternal and that he is almighty God, that he is unique in all the annals of human history. What's their reaction? (laughs) sort of like it is today. Verse 39, or 59, they then took the upstones to cast it in. And there's a lot of people today that if you make the claim that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says He is, they're not going to pick up a literal stone and throw it at you, but they're going to take verbal stones and throw them at you all day long because they don't want to believe that Jesus Christ is is, in fact, the unique Son of God. And that's what we're celebrating right now. 
If he's just another man, close Christmas down for heaven's sakes. It's too much trouble. But he's not just another man. He's the Son of God, the unique, eternal one who inhabits the eternities for us. The uniqueness of Jesus, the exclusive claims of Jesus. It doesn't end there. You're almost to chapter 10. Go over there in verse number 9. I am the door. And people in everywhere in good, polite company today, standing around our cocktail parties, we got to say, oh, all roads lead to heaven. We got to be thought broad-minded. And I've met some people who are so broad-minded, they're flat-headed. I mean, they involve themselves. Everything is okay, isn't it? They are so inclusive that everything is okay. All roads lead to heaven. All doors go to heaven. Well, that's not what he said. He didn't say he was the best door. He didn't say he was an optional door or a good door or a door. I am the door. He's really pretty narrow-minded by today's standard, is he not? I am the door, not one of many doors. I go back to Mark. Turn back there with me, chapter 14, verse 61. And this is a scene from the cross. And in verse 61, he held his peace and he answered nothing as the high priest is interrogating him tormenting him. Again, the high priest asked him and said to him, are you the Christ, the son, of the, uh, the son of the blessed? I read it sometimes where people say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, right here he did again. Verse 62, Jesus said, I am. And he didn't mean I am just the son of God. He meant I am God, I am Jehovah. He uses the term again, I am. And he goes on to say that not only is he the Son of God right now, but he will go one day and sit on the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, the power of God in heaven. And the, and the high priest knew what he was saying. He, didn't, he wasn't just saying, yes, I am claiming to be Christ. Verse 63, the high priest understood that he was making a claim to be God, and the Bible says he rent his clothes. Why did he rent his clothes? That was a Jewish way of, 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 of saying, this, this is blasphemous. This is awful. I can't stand it. And he tore his clothes. He rent his clothes. So angry was he with the Lord Jesus Christ as he stands there. Go to, back to John 3 now. I'm turning you a lot in your Bible, but uh, that's good. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. I think you know that one, but it'll be worth turning there. Anyhow, I'll show you something. John three sixteen. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten. And by the way, you could interpret that as being his only and unique son. Unique son. The son like all unlike all other sons, because we're the sons of God also for Christians, but he's the only begotten son. We're not that. And he says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, what Jesus is claiming here is a person's eternal destiny depends solely on believing in him. 
He even interjects the idea that if people don't do that, they're going to perish. And then go down to verse 18, though, and he makes a unique claim again right here in this passage. He that believeth on me is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten, the unique, one in all of eternity, Son of God. He makes the most exclusive claim that you can possibly make. Go over to chapter 6 with me. I want you to see this is a constant theme of the Lord Jesus Christ, John 6 and 40. 6 and 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone, everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him will have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The hope of the resurrection even is tied to our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was the people's reaction? Chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse number 43. There was a division among the people because of him, just like there is in America today. Chapter 9 and verse 16. And it ends with the phrase, and there was a division among them. And in chapter 10 and verse 19, there was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. Three separate times, it says, Jesus Christ brought division. Why did he bring division? Was he setting out to be a troublemaker? No. He, was, he came to bring life to the world. But he was making an exclusive claim. He was eliminating every other way to heaven, every other religious leader other than himself. He was saying, they don't have the power to give you eternal life. And so he made these claims, and men didn't understand. And so they became angry at him, even as men today become angry because they don't want to accept the faith that He is the only way to salvation. And go with me to Acts, if you will, real quickly, just a few pages to the right there, the next book in your Bible, chapter 4, and Jesus now has died and ascended back to heaven. And His followers, the apostles, are preaching. And what is their message in chapter 4 and verse number 12 of the book of Acts? Neither is there salvation in any other. They didn't cut the message. They didn't compromise. They didn't try to make everybody happy. They weren't trying to be politically correct. There's not salvation in any, in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. They made the exclusive claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, the exclusive Christ. You th think about it. These are religious people, and they're basically saying to them, your religion is not going to work. You may be religious, and you may be moral, and you may be good, but it's not going to be enough. You've got to come through Jesus. And so one night, 
a man comes to see Jesus named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus sits down and begins to talk to him. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Jesus acknowledged that he was a leader of the Jews. He was a moral man. He was a good man. If I could pick anybody in the, in the Bible to be my neighbor, it'd be Nicodemus. I promise you, he'd be the best. Character, flawless. And what did Jesus say to him? It's not enough. You must be born again. You must come to me. You've got to believe in me. And then he quoted John 3.16 to him. Acts chapter 10. The apostles are out preaching. They find a man named Cornelius. Peter is led to him. Peter talks about what a good man he is. He's probably as good a man as anybody in this building. But it's not enough because it's not focused on Jesus. And Peter makes the exclusive claim. Your religion won't work for you to get you to heaven. There's one way to heaven, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ, the exclusive Christ. Now, here's the application. Today, we are making exclusive claims for Jesus Christ in the most inclusive society upon the earth today. We are making exclusive claims that Jesus Christ is who He says He is, and we're do it, doing it in the midst of the most inclusive society, a society that has totally changed in 30 years. 30 years ago, I preached this message. It would not be controversial. Nobody would even think to be offended or think otherwise because the Judeo-Christian concept on which our nation was built, that, that concept was agreed upon even by unsaved people who had a certain respect for Jesus. But today, it's a controversial subject. I didn't seek to be controversial today. I'm, but you just preach the claims of the Bible. It makes you controversial with some. And you see, to make an exclusive claim that Jesus is who He said He was, He is the light, the way, the truth, the life, the door, the bread, the living water, all those claims of Jesus, every one of them exclusive claims. To make that claim, now listen to me carefully, and you'll see why this is as relevant a preaching as I think can be done. To make that claim in a world where diversity and inclusiveness is valued above the truth, it becomes controversial. You see, you and I, with our Judeo-Christian biblical worldview, to us, truth is the most important value of all. Is it true? Is the, the bottom line about things. But that's no longer true in a postmodern society. Truth is not the highest value. Inclusion, diversity is the highest value in America today. I was raised that tolerance, tolerance was I, no matter what a person says or does, treat them with respect. Treat them with a, a certain respect. You may seriously disagree with them or even 
have a minor disagreement, but it doesn't matter. You treat them like you would want to be treated. You tolerate their view, and, and, and you listen to them, but you treat them with respect, but that doesn't mean you have to agree with it. You have a right to believe what you want to believe. That's no longer true. Understanding you folks who have your hair is the same color of mine, particularly, in our lifetime we've seen a seismic shift. The whole platelets of the earth have shifted. And the view of tolerance that you and I had that listen to somebody, evaluate their opinion. You can choose to disagree, but treat them with respect. That's no longer true. It's no longer true. That's changed. And so this age of tolerance, where tolerance has been redefined, and what it really means today is, well, you have to accept every opinion as being equally valid. And so if a fellow says, I don't believe that Jesus Christ is the way, I believe that somebody else is the way, then I'm supposed to accept that in the spirit of our postmodern, multicultural, inclusive uh, society. I'm supposed to accept that. But I can't accept it. My eternal destiny depends on how I answer that question about that baby lying in that manger. In every area of culture today, inclusiveness is the highest value. People are even criticized because they talk about the greatness of America. Oh, if we talk about how great our country is in American exceptionalism, wow, we're putting down somebody else and they might be offended. Don't say that this is the greatest country that's ever existed on the face of the earth. And we come to the media, and it constantly preaches to us that inclusiveness and diversity is the highest value that we could possibly, that we could possibly value. And I come to the corporate world, and what does the corporate world say? Inclusiveness is the greatest value. And, that, and so they're training us even in this, in seminars and so forth. And I come to education, secular education in America. And it used to be that the goal of education was a search for truth. What is right? No longer is it a search for truth. It's a quest for inclusiveness. And we don't want anybody to ever get there. Uh, we don't want anybody to be hurt or offended. And so we, want, we parse every word that we say. And then you come to religion, you'd think, well, we're, that's not true of us. Listen to a Pew poll, and Pew is about the most reliable polling agency now. They found that 68% of Roman Catholics, 56% of mainline Protestants, but this is the one that blows my mind, 21% of evangelicals, Believe that people can go to heaven without believing in Christ. I hope this isn't true, but that statistic would make me wonder, do I have people in my own church membership who have bought into the spirit of our age and who think there's another way to heaven than Jesus Christ? because I know what you're hearing all day long. Three years ago, the Roman Catholic Pope 
told a 13-year-old boy that his deceased atheist father would meet him in heaven. And Southern Baptist theologian Dillis Willard, before his death, wrote a book called Apologetics in Action. I quote from it, I am happy for God to save anyone He wants in any way He can. It is possible for someone who does not know Jesus to be saved, close quote. Peter Kraft, well-known theologian in his book, Ecumenical Jihad, Ecumenism and the Culture War, said, quote, when a past Muslim practices Islam, his submission to his religion might this be taking place through Christ and His grace and presence, though the Muslim does not know or even acknowledge it? I think that is very likely. Close quote. And recently, the Presbyterian Church USA, that's the liberal version, removed the song that we often sing here, Christ Alone, from its hymn book. Because to sing that Christ alone is our confession of faith, could be offensive to other people. So my question is, who is that babe lying in that manger? Is he just one of? Or is he exclusively the Son of God and God the Son, the unique one, the only one who was ever born on the planet who was qualified to pay for my sins. The only one, let me say it again, who was qualified to pay for your sins. Who else? could have paid for our sins. And to be talked out of that by a culture that is absolutely falling apart, we can't do it. This is the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. To deny this is to deny the gospel. That the unique Son of God came and went to that cross and suffered and poured out his blood and paid for me to go to heaven and be forgiven of sin. And it's the good news he commanded us to proclaim to other people. And so it's not popular. Christianity, they say, is losing favor among the people today. Yes, it is. They're being, they're being educated in every form possible, in every way, by every form of media, education, corporatism, right across the board. They're being educated that we're to be inclusive when it comes to religion. We're not to be exclusive. And so the wind is in our face. If you're going to follow him now, you're going to swim against the current. It may cost you your job. It may cost you 
your friends. Position. But is it worth it? And remember this. Don't run up the white flag over the Florence Baptist Temple. Christianity made its greatest gains it's ever made in history at a time when the culture was absolutely against it, the first 300 years of Christian experience. They were killing Christians, burning them in the squares. It did not shut down our faith. But we didn't bow to the gods of tolerance and inclusivism. And I don't know about you, I can only speak for me, but I know this, no matter what this world says, I have decided to follow Jesus. Stand to your feet with me if you will.